last week, uh, Pastor Danny challenged us that we as Christians should be beware. And we were asked the question that are we the problem or are we part of the solution? And he shared lots of data, lots of startling data. Divorce rate in Americans today, all born-again Christians, you have 32% non-born-again Christians, 33%. It's just 1% difference. Evangelicals, 26. Non-evangelical Christians, 33. Notional Christians, 33. Non-Christian faith, 38. Atheist, agnostic, Protestant, 34. Catholic, 28. Conservative, 28. Moderate, 33. Liberal, 37. Bottom line. What we should expect probably or hope that as Christians, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, who instituted marriage, that these figures would be miles apart. But they're actually not. In another statistic that he shared with us, findings on religious faith in America, 28% or almost one in every three American adults have left their Christian faith. It's been observed that if the young people grow up in a Christian home, they embrace that faith. But once they get to later high school or even college, when they're out of college, they've totally abandoned that faith. If you have four children and this statistic would apply to you, one of your children would fall away. The number of people who are not affiliated with any particular faith today, which is 16%, is more than double the number who say they were not affiliated with any particular faith as children. Among American young adults of age 18 to 29, 25%, one in every four, say they are not affiliated with any religion or faith today. So we have to ask ourselves what they're believing in. Back in the 1930s and 40s, the numbers of nuns, those who, not the one, not the nuns, but those who say, what is your religion? They put none. Okay? Those are the nuns. Those who said they were not religiously affiliated hovered around 5%. Pretty good. Just 5% would say that they're not religiously affiliated. But since then, the number of people who don't consider themselves part of a religion has increased to 20%. It used to be 5. It's doubled. From 5 to 10, and then it doubled again. We're now at 20%. So, Pastor Danny challenges, and I have to agree, that there is no one else to point the finger on or to blame for the decline in Christianity, except us, us Christians. We Christians are no longer look like, supposed to look like. We are supposed to look like Christ. He said in Romans 8.29, that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed, to take the shape of, to reflect Christ. We're part of the problem. We are not Christ-like as we ought to be, and that in spite of the power of the resurrection. People don't want to come to faith. People don't want to come to church. Why? Because instead of focusing on the sin, we're beginning to focus on the people. We're beginning to make or give them labels. We're supposed to love them as Christ loved the church. Instead, we become judgmental. Is that the image that Christ would want us to reflect? Or does God want us to be humble and self-sacrificial? which was modeled for Jesus Christ on that cross. He died in our place. 
He shed His blood for our sins. But instead of loving others unconditionally, just as God loves us unconditionally, we become judgmental. How do you tell one from the other? What do you see in front of you? We can't even tell anymore. This is a picture of wheat and tares. Wheat is where you get your flour. Tares are weeds. Tares compete with the wheat. But why is it that we can no longer tell which is the wheat and which are the tares? They look the same. They've blended in. They've assimilated. And now you can tell who is a Christian and who is not. Because we begin to look like the world. Oh, we look like Christians on Sundays. Definitely. We wear our Sunday best. We bring our Bible. But are we the same in the workplace? Are we the same as we drive our cars on the freeway? That's a good question to ask. Is my internal life the same as my public life? Where are you there? Are you the wheat? Are you the tear? It's impossible to distinguish anymore. Those statistics, when I saw them, It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to me personally as a Christian because as Christians, we should stand out. The word holy means set apart, that we live distinguished lives, separate from the way the world lives their lives. But then what happens? We blend in and no one knows that we're Christians. Are you a Christian? Yes. Really? I didn't know. I, I'm a secret agent. (laughs) Nobody knows. Don't spill the beans. Now, why is this happening? Why is this happening at this time? Well, let me share with you from Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And I will and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But this is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Do you see this going on right now? I I know only four people see this right now. Do you see this happening right now before our very eyes? Did you read the news the other day that there was this boat coming from Libya? It was overloaded. So what did they do? They threw off the Christians. Those, peop- those Christians that they threw off the boat, they died. Me first. Wars and rumors of wars, wars famines and earthquakes. It goes on. But these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. ISIS. They come to your house. Are you a Christian? Yes. They are beginning to kill Christians all over again because... Of our profession of faith. They will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations. Israel is being ganged up even in the United Nations right now. They're going to be brought to the international court. Because Palestine is now being accepted as as a member. And Palestine is going to sue for what they believe to be crimes against humanity 
done by Israel. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most of the people's love will grow cold. But the one who do endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. The statistics are staggering. They should cause alarm. But God already knew this was going to happen. He said the love, their love, our love will grow cold. We won't be as passionate for Christ, for God, as we were when we first got saved. But this is predestined to happen. Why? Because this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then what? And then the end will come. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Has our love for God grown cold? I pray that it has not. I've titled my message this morning very simply. Mind your own business. It's not to be taken in a negative way. It's taken in a positive way. You see, the word mind means this. To pay attention to, to heed or to obey a person's advice or instruction. To apply oneself, to look after, to be careful, to feel concerned, to feel disturbed or inconvenienced. So when I say mind your own business, what I'm trying to communicate to all of us is to pay attention to the business at hand. The business that God has entrusted to you and me. That's what I mean. Pay attention. Give heed. Be uncomfortable with what's going on because God has given us a work to do. Aren't you alarmed by this? There's just a 1% difference between the divorce rate of all born-again Christians and those who have no concept, those atheists and agnostics who don't believe in God. Just 1%. Yet, God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation that we should be the salt and light of the world. Well, we're pretty good, God. We are up by 1%. It should wake us up. We should begin to mind our own business. We should begin to pay attention to the business that God has entrusted to us. And what, what do you think that business is? What do you think that business is? What do you think that business is? What? What? It's right there. It's right there. CCF exists to fulfill the business at hand. The business of making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and on the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the only business at hand. Mind our own business. God did not call us to populate heaven. God does not want us there just so that we can worship Him. 
Worship of God has been going on since eternity past. God saved us for a purpose. Mind our own business. Pay attention to the business at hand. Let's be focused. We can do many things, but I submit to you, we can do one thing pretty, pretty good. Mind our own business. Let's stand and read scripture this morning as we proceed. Luke 2, 41 to 50. Let's all read. His parents... And acquaintances. Saw him. But they did not understand the statement which he had spoken to them. Let's pray. God Almighty, you have given us one task. I pray, Lord, through your word this morning that you will revive our hearts, Lord. See the world around us and the moral depravity that's going on. You have saved us, Lord, for a purpose. And I pray that we take to heart this morning the business that you've placed before us. I humble myself before you, Lord God. I pray that you will speak through me and in me, Lord God, and that we'll hear your voice and we'll apply it in our daily lives. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem to present him at the temple. After three days, they go back. Mary and Joseph notice that Jesus is not with them. They assume that Jesus is part of the caravan. When they arrive, they find that Jesus isn't there. So what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem to look for their son. Now, as a parent, you lose some, one of your children, let's say just in the mall. What do you do? You usually go out and search for your own kid. And when you find them, wow, you're overjoyed. Now Mary and Joseph went back to Jerusalem, and lo and behold, they find Jesus in the temple, sitting with the elders. And the elders were amazed at his wisdom, at his interaction with them. And just like an ordinary, regular parent, Mary and Joseph Hey, what's going on? Why didn't you tell us? You stayed behind. How did Jesus answer them? And he said to them, Why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must go about my father's business? What was the business that Jesus was supposed to be focused on? He had one mission. You see this cross? His mission was to be nailed to that cross. For sins he did not commit. For crimes that he was innocent of. So that after three days he could prove that he is really the son of God. To rise from the dead. And intercede for all the saints. And through his sacrifice we have the eternal, the gift of eternal life. He was focused. He was so focused that he even set aside going back to Jerusalem with his parents because he needed to be at the temple to learn 
and to show that he was someone who is wise. He had one purpose. He was focused on his father's business. He had one purpose. What's the title today? Mind your own business. My own business. Because this command, this command is addressed to each and every one of us. You have your own business to mind to. You have your own business to pay attention to, as do I. Mind your own business. And what is that business again? The business of making disciples. Now, what is making disciples? Discipleship is a process. You introduce someone to Jesus Christ. When that person comes to faith in Christ, you help this person grow to become Christ-like. And that person, Lord willing, will do the same. And then you have multiplied your effort. Remember what I preached to you on Easter Sunday? Jesus Christ said, unless a kernel, one kernel of wheat, fall to the ground and die, it cannot bear much fruit. So as a businessman, you expect a lot of return. You don't expect to invest a minimal amount, and then after a lengthy time of investment, you get Exactly one. Toti is here. How many kaings or bushels of mango do you expect to harvest from one mango tree? Approximate. Ten. Ten bushels from one mango tree that started with one seed that fell to the ground and died and lived and now continues to bear ten bushels of fruit every season. Jesus Christ tells us to make disciples. Uh, Pastor, I thought that was just for the, the leaders. I thought making disciples was the role of the leadership. Well, let's take a look at what Jesus Christ said to the people before he went back to heaven. All right? Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. Now, to whom is this verse being addressed? Let me help you. To whom? When you read this, to whom is this being addressed? I thought you were going to say to you. Back to me. <laughs> when you read this, God is talking to you. Mind your own business. God is talking to you. And what did Jesus Christ tell you? To be what? You will be my witnesses. Now what does a witness do? The witness just tells the truth. Correct? He's just supposed to tell the truth. So how, you, how do you begin to disciple somebody? Tell them of the truth. Tell them about what you encountered. Tell them about Jesus Christ. That's it. That's becoming a witness. Tell them of how you met Jesus Christ. Tell them about how Jesus Christ changed your life. That's being a witness. That's minding your business. Now look at this lady. We all know about John chapter 4. The Samaritan goes to the well to draw water. But she was an outcast. She went to the water in the height of the noon sun. Nobody else, no other woman was there to draw water. Only she was there. But Jesus, being thirsty, asked her, Do you have water to drink? And the exchange goes, Hey, you're a Jew. Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And she changes the conversation. But Jesus, knowing her real need was for salvation, he says, go call your husband. 
And we know that the interaction, oh, I don't have a husband, and Jesus Christ says, yeah, to be honest, you really don't have a husband because you've had four, and the one you're with is not your husband. <gasps> Oops. Oh, are you a prophet? Oh, you know that they said that the worship of the Jews is over there. We Samaritans worship over here. And Jesus Christ says, no, time is coming and has now come that you will worship the Father in truth. And when Jesus Christ exposes her inner need for salvation, she begins to open up her mind and says, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised anointed one? And Jesus introduces himself as the Christ. And what does she do? Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They went out to the city and were coming to him. Why did she go to the well to draw water? But what happened to her water pot? In her excitement, she left her physical need because her spiritual need was being fed. She left her water pot, ran to the city, and what? She just told them. She just witnessed. She just became a witness. There's this man who told me everything I have done. Could he be the Christ? They went out to the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus, did you bring your lunch? He said, I have food you don't know about. Where's your lunch? He said, Rabbi, eat. I have food that you know nothing about. So the disciples were saying to, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus was all about. The mission, the business that God gave him. He didn't even bother to eat because his food was to do the will of God the Father and to accomplish the work that was given to him. How effective was this Samaritan woman? From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word, the woman testified. You will be my witnesses. He told me all things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. One woman testified and many came to faith because she was bold enough. She was willing to just share, hey, I met this guy. And they who have heard her story wanted to meet this guy. And this guy told them, shared with them, spent time with them for two days. And they also came to faith in him. And they told the woman, it's no longer just because of your testimony. We have heard for ourselves and we have placed our faith in him. What if the woman just went home? But she was so excited. Do you remember the first time you came to faith in Christ? Yes, all of my sins are forgiven. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. You tell everyone, even the, the post. Hey, you know, do you? Because you want to practice, how will I evangelize? So I think I'm going to pretend that this is my friend. Hey, do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? But now, after many years, could it be that our love for God has also grown cold? That we're no longer willing to share? 
and witness because I have not gone to seminary. I have not gone to the GLC 1, 2, and 3. I have not done this, so I don't know how to witness. Yes, you can. Yes, you do know. All you need is to tell them your story, just like the Samaritan woman. And when people come to faith in Christ, God expects that we become more like Christ. Look at what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. What is the business of Jesus? To seek and to save. He went to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus was saved. How do we know? His life changed. He's willing now to repent and give back, pay back everyone he has defrauded four times over. If you say you place your faith in Christ, it means your life is changing. It means you're becoming more like Christ. It means you're standing out. You're set apart. You're different from the rest of the world. Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. And we ask God, God send me people so I can witness. Jesus Christ went out of his comfort zone to look for somebody to share with. I have come to seek, look for. To seek what? To seek and save those which are lost. You have relatives, you have loved ones who still do not know Jesus Christ? But pastor, they don't come to me naman eh. They don't ask me about Jesus Christ, so I don't tell them. Why? I'm secret agent, remember? <laughs> if they ask, I will tell. But if they don't ask, I'll just keep quiet. I might get into trouble. Zacchaeus, prepare because I'm coming to your house tonight. And when Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, his life changed. When the woman encountered Jesus, her life changed. How about us? Paul tells us in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. How many of you believe in the resurrection? There, you see. How many of you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that there is power in the resurrection? Yes. Do you not believe, do you not understand, my dear beloved brothers and sisters, that the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ is in you because of the Holy Spirit, and you have the power to resurrect lives? Amen. You have the gospel. It is the gospel that has the power. You don't have the power. I don't have the power. The power is in the gospel. And the Bible tells us that all who have sinned are dead. They're spiritually dead. And you, if you're able to will, to share, to witness about Jesus Christ, this dead person might come to life because of you. You can resurrect a dead soul if you're just willing to share about Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. They can do whatever they want on me, for me, to me, but I am going to share the gospel. He said, I will preach the gospel in season and out of season. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Because until and unless the gospel is shared to all the world, then the Lord cannot return. Why? Because He's giving time for people to repent. Because he does not any, want anyone to go to hell. He wants all men to come to salvation. And he has appointed me. He has appointed you to be 
his witnesses. You see, your life, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies to the spirit who dwells in you. You have the power. All you need to do is switch it on. There's a brownout. You have a flashlight. You have batteries. But you don't want to switch it on. You'll still be in the dark. You have power available at your fingertips, but you'll still be in the dark. You don't want to turn the power on. He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Do you believe that Jesus Christ himself is commanding you and me to make disciples? It's not your pastors. It's not your D group leader. It's Jesus Christ himself. He's commanding you. He's commanding me. Witness to them. When they come to faith, what are you supposed to do? It's underlined. They, oi, yana naman. I already knew they were going to talk about teaching them to obey all. I knew it. Well, if we're not going to teach you this, then we should not exist as a fellowship. Because this is the whole idea why Christ Commission Fellowship exists. Teaching them to obey all. A person is a newborn in Christ. That person needs to be trained, needs to be brought up, needs to be taught the basics and then move up and then grow and mature. Now, if we don't do that, who will do that? All they know is that they pray the prayer. So they don't know that they have a responsibility to God to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we don't do that, if we don't disciple, if we don't help them, what could happen? Well, look at this. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 2, now the sons of Eli were worthless. Ugh. What a description. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was... When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. It's good that it's Christ's commission, not just commission and commission. <laughs> Eli, the priest, the one who thought Hannah was drunk when Hannah was praying for Samuel, that she would give birth to a son, and that son later on became the prophet Samuel. Eli was the one who mentored Samuel. But look at his own sons. Worthless. The people will come to sacrifice. No, change. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. I don't like this. I don't like that. They were taking away from the sacrifice of the people. Then they... If the man said to him, they must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire, then you would say, no, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. <laughs> Thus the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. You see what happened to the people? The people were making offering to the Lord, but because of this commissioning going on there, they didn't like to offer anymore. They despised the offering of the Lord. Why? The sons of Eli. The priest. Commissioner. They'll take the offering for themselves. And the people began to despise their own offering. But God knows everything. Look what happened. God told the prophet Samuel in verse 29, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I've commanded in my dwelling, and honor your son above me by making yourself fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. 
So who did Eli prioritize? Did Eli prioritize God? He gave in to his own children. And because he did not disciple his own children well, he did not mind his own business. What happened? What happened to his kids? Worthless. Not only that. Look at verse 34. This will be a sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phineas. Please, if you're going to have kids, please, okay, do not name them Hophni or Phineas. Why? On the same day, both of them will die. Don't name Hopia. Hophni. <laughs> not Hophia. Hophni and Phineas. Please, another name. Do not name your kids Ananias and Sapphira, okay? They also died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Imagine, because, some, because Eli was not able to disciple his own children well, they were going to suffer a fate, perhaps that no parent should ever have to go through. Both of your sons will die on the same day. And in 1 Samuel 4, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Could it be that their lives have changed and the story of their demise was something greater than just worthless people? who have died because they robbed the people offering their sacrifice. If they were discipled properly by Eli, could not their outcome, could not their life have been better? You're already in the temple. Your father is the priest. Instead of being loyal to God, you decided to take for yourself. Eli, on his part, instead of Discipling his own children, what did he do? He gave in to them. God said, because you honored your children ahead of me, this is what's going to happen. Eli did not teach them to obey all. He did not disciple them. So what happened? They fell into ruin. We think that this command, because it's in Matthew 28, and this is what CCF stands for, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, teaching them all, teaching them to obey all, that this is something new, that this is something from the New Testament. May I share with you that this is not new? Because in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, These are the laws which the Lord your God has told me to teach you. You are to do them in the land you are going to, to take for your own. Then you and your son, your grandson, will fear the Lord. You will obey all his laws that I tell you all the days of your life, and then you will have a longer life. Is it something new? It's as old as the Old Testament. Now, why did God tell these people through Moses that they must obey all? They were going into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And the key to blessing of a long life in this new and spacious land was obey all. The greatest blessing that the Christian has is the presence of God. The greatest blessing that I can do for God, if I may is to show my response to Him by obeying all that I can obey of all His commands. Because with obedience comes blessing. It's promised in the Bible. He said, obey all so that you, your days will be prolonged. And look at what it is saying. It begins with me so that you and your son and your grandson is three generations. I teach. First, I have to learn it myself. I must begin to be the example of obeying all. Then I'm able to 
disciple my son to obey all. And Lord willing, he will in turn disciple his child to obey all. And if I do that, God's promises, my life will be prolonged. I will enjoy a long life. This is not something new, friends. This has been there since the Old Testament. And then how do we do it? Oh, Israel, you listen and be careful to do them. Then it will go well with you. And you will become many in the land flowing with milk and honey. This is what the Lord, the God, has, Father has promised to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Keep these words in your heart that I'm telling you today. Do your best to teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk upon the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as something special to see on your hand and on your forehead. Write them beside the door of your house and on your gates. Make the word of God so evident in our personal life that it will impact our children. If they see me loving the Lord with all my breath, with everything that I have, I don't need to tell my kids to love God. They see it. If they see me reading my Bible, I don't have to tell them to read their Bibles. If they see me attending discipleship group, they will want to attend discipleship group. If they want to see me, if they see me rising up early, preparing for Sunday worship, and I'm excited, they will do the same. You have to model it, friends. Lessons are caught rather than taught. And it says, you, look at this, you, it begins with you, then you. So who's that? Begins with me. Begins with me. I should do it. Are you discipling your children? Oh, yes, pastor. How? Oh, they're going to Sunday school. Are you discipling your wife? Yes, she goes to the women's ministry. Are you discipling your Oh, yes, why? They go in the school. They're, they have a Christian school. So who's discipling your kids? Who's discipling your wife? You know what I'm saying? If we are not discipling our children, if we are not discipling our family, someone else is going to disciple them. Yes? So no wonder we get those statistics. Who's discipling your wife? Oh, she goes to this counselor. Oh, by the way, she filed divorce because she wants to marry the counselor. <laughs> you, me, I have the business of making disciples. It takes your commitment. We keep on looking for other people to disciple. Well, Pastor, God hasn't given me someone to disciple yet. Disciple your wife. Disciple your children. You keep on looking so far. Oh, right here pala. This morning, we have a family who is committed to disciple their children. Can I ask? Dennis and Abby to come up here. This morning we will close our service with the parent-child dedication. Come on. Here is Anika Brie Paragas accompanied by their parents Dennis and Abigail Paragas. There we are. <laughs> Dennis, Abby, and myself, we shared this verse with them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Dennis has understood that the primary responsibility of discipling rests on his shoulders. While it is not just him, while this is between 
Dennis and Abby. The father is the majority responsibility for the family. And I shared with Dennis from Deuteronomy 6 that these words, the Bible, have to be first in his heart. And he is supposed to teach Anika. He is supposed to disciple Abigail. And he is also supposed to disciple Sean. Now, how is he supposed to do it according to Deuteronomy 6? Do your best to teach them. In the NASB, it means diligent. Diligently teach them. Don't entrust them to somebody else. You take the responsibility on. You teach them to your children. How? Model it. Talk about them when you sit down in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Model Christ-likeness. Model humility. Model selfless sacrifice. Make it so obvious. Tie them as something special to see on your hand and on your forehead. Write them beside the door of your house and on your gates. Make it so visible to Annika Bree that at the right time when she is of age, Dennis and Abigail commit to introduce their children to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They have also asked some of you to stand in as godparents. Those of you who have been asked to stand in as godparents for Annika, can you please stand? Stand please. Don't be afraid, I'm not going to charge you any money. Godparents, you have been chosen by the family to be the spiritual godparents to Annika Brie as well. In case something happens to Dennis and to Abigail, you stand in. You also have the duty and responsibility to see to it to hold Dennis and Abby accountable for the commitment that they're making to God today. So if you see them violating their covenant, their promise with God to train their children up in the ways of the Lord, it is your responsibility to call their attention to it. Do you accept this responsibility, Godparents? Oh, Dito, yes. <laughs> going once, going twice? Okay, yes. Thank you, godparents. You may be seated. Dennis, where's your microphone? There. Hello. Dennis, we have uh, discussed this, and you have committed yourself, both of you, to raise your children up in the ways of the Lord. Do you acknowledge that Annika Bree is a gift of God to you? Yes. Do you commit before God and all of these witnesses that you will raise Annika Bree in the ways, the knowledge, the love, and the fear of God? Yes. yes. Do you promise that when the time comes, you will take the initiative to teach Annika Bree about the gospel of Jesus Christ and to introduce her to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you commit to do this? Yes. In a parent-child dedication, they're the ones really going to dedicate their child. So Dennis has prepared his uh, prayer to the Lord. And Dennis, will you please uh, do that right now? Uh, thank you, Pastor. Uh, we, we, Dennis and Abigail Paragas, publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and personal Savior. He is the center of our marriage and our family. He is the giver of all the blessings. We thank the Lord for blessing us with another child. She is a gift from God. She belongs to God and we believe that she has been born to experience His love and to serve Him only. We are committing as Christian parents to raise our daughter Annika Brie in the ways of God to teach her the truth of God, God's word, 
and train her to obey and love God, to impress on her godly uh, uh, discipline, <laughs> discipline and to pray for her all the days of her life, to lead her to Christ until the day comes that she can make a decision on her own to follow God and have a personal faith in Him. We pray to God to give us guidance, strength, and wisdom to fulfill our commitments as parents, to help us live accordingly, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, to obey His statutes and commands, and to serve Him only so that we can be a living testimony of Christ to our children. This is a big responsibility and a, long, a lifelong commitment, and we cannot do it by ourselves. And honestly, it is impossible to do but with the Lord's help, guidance and blessing, and only by His grace. We know that He will make everything work together for good for, for us, particularly in raising our children. Uh, so today we dedicate Annika Brie to, uh, to you, Lord. May you bless her and guide her as she grows. And we ask this in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Annika Bree J. Paragas is now dedicated to the Lord. Let's pray for this family, shall we? God Almighty, thank you for the desire of Dennis and Abigail to dedicate their child back to you. Lord, your word says that children are a reward, but it is also a responsibility, a responsibility that us parents must take to heart because we are those whom you have appointed to primarily disciple our wife, to disciple our children so that they may know you even as we know you. I pray, Lord God, that you will help both Dennis and Abby fulfill their commitment and that you've given them godly godparents to help them as they introduce Annika to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you will give them wisdom and guidance how to raise her up, to know you, to love you, and to come to a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a big responsibility as Dennis has prayed, and we join him in his desire to seek your wisdom, to seek your empowerment. Lord, bless this family. Shower grace upon grace upon them, Lord, so that when Annika Bree grows up, she too will know Jesus Christ in a real and personal way. We commit them into your hands, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God the glory this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Friends, those statistics are there. Sad to say they are there because we have been remiss. We have not been doing the business that God has entrusted to us. Therefore, I close you with just this challenge. Mind your own business and disciple someone. Don't wait for other people to disciple your own family members. Don't depend on your D-group leader. Don't merely depend on your children's D-group leader. You have been given I have been given that responsibility to disciple the people that God has entrusted to us. It begins with my wife. It begins with my children. It begins with your spouse, with your children. Don't depend on the church. God has put you in that position to mind your own business. The business of discipling your children on towards Christ-likeness. God, we just want to thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that this command to teach people to obey all is not something new. It's not something that CCF has put together. This has been in your word since the time of Moses. And you have put that command, Lord, not to be burdensome to us, but for you to be able to bless us. God, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for all my brothers and sisters that we will take to heart 
to pay attention to the business at hand, which is to disciple anyone and everyone whom you will send to us, beginning with our own family. This is my prayer, Lord God. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.